It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday night. The Sixers season is over. Memorial Day is just around the corner. The weather is going to get better, but your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union are in first place at the top of the Eastern Conference. Well, they're tied with D.C. United, but they have a better points per game than Toronto. So now all you people who are complaining that I was complaining about that, we no longer have anything to complain about. We're going to get to your questions, your comments, and if you have any concerns a little later in the show. We have a special guest joining us for episode numbers. I, I never look at what episode number it is. I think it's 79 or 80. But Morgan Langley, former Philadelphia Union winger, Harrisburg City Islanders winger, and St. Patrick's winger, uh, on the phone with us for this episode. Morgan, how are you, man? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for asking. So you got out of soccer in 2015. Uh, you are moving on with your life at this point. What are you doing right now? Where are you working? What are you up to? job right now. I'm uh, in commercial real estate. Uh, I work for a firm called Savile. Uh, they're based out of London, actually. Um, large firm in uh, London and Asia. Um, but, but you know, I'm working for the local Philadelphia office, and mostly what we do is we represent corporate tenants. Um, and, but I kept my, my nose in soccer, and I work part-time um, for the MLS. I contract for them as a professional match evaluator. So you may have seen me down on the field a couple of times, uh, over the years here, um, you know, staying, staying involved. So, uh, yeah, what goes into that? What exactly does a pro match evaluator do? It sounds like an interesting gig, and it's something that I'm not that familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. So a pro match evaluator works with Major League Soccer along with uh, Pro, which is the referees organization. And the idea here is to bring the professionalism of the league up to a standard of, you know, other leagues worldwide make us a world-class league. Um, so it's a program that involves mostly former players, um, some high-level coaches. And the idea here is to really focus in on the professionalism of, say, the referee, the players, uh, the benches, um, and even the fans will come into play a little bit. But, but really the idea is to you know, get the level to where they want it to be on the field uh, for, you know, from a referee and a play standpoint. Um, the other stuff is just kind of on, on the side there. Um, you know, we, we sit between the two benches and we put together a report after each game, and uh, that report goes into the competition committee, and then the competition committee then uh, uses it for their evaluation. So how did you end up doing something like that? When you came back from Ireland, um you know, I guess you were thinking about what did you, what you wanted to do with your career at that point. Um, was this something you just sort of fell into, or did you want to? Did you make a concerted effort to kind of like stick around the game and still be involved with the game in some way? Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to be a part of the game. Um, I didn't. I didn't know how that was going to take place. Uh, you know, I actually got an email and I thought, wow, I get to kind of sit close up to the game and you know do something. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> so that's really how it came about, and then. Um, you know, I was introduced to the program and, and realized it was actually a serious gig. Uh, and, I, and I felt, um, you know, and that, at that point I, I just fell in love with the role. Um, and, you know, I really jumped into it full on. And, you know, I encourage any former player to do that. Cool. So I want to go through your career a little bit. Um, but later, I want to ask you about this iteration of the union who uh, are playing really well right now. Um, they look like a different team. Uh, playing a different formation, a different strategy. Um, a lot of guys stepping up and making contributions. I think they've surprised um, a lot of us this year. Um, what's your perspective on what you're seeing on the field? Yeah. Um, you know, I, th I think there's, first of all, there's a great balance to the team right now. 
Um, you're seeing you're seeing a different balance than there's been in the past. I think they finally put the pieces together in terms of personnel, um, and you know you also have some some high quality players that I'm not sure we've seen in uh, Talent Energy um, before. You know, quite frankly, you know I think over the past few games you've seen seen good performances from Montero. You've seen um, you know obviously Papa's starting to rev up again himself. Um, and, and you know Santos looks like he could be a player. So you've got all these different pieces coming off the bench. You know, obviously you've got um, uh, with the, the Brazilian Ilcino, um, You know, if he's good for thirty minutes or ninety minutes, he seems to be making something happen every game. So you know, you have uh, uh, just so many different pieces you can mix and match with. And you know, we all know that with with soccer, it's all about balance. And so I think this team has a great balance. Yeah, I've been impressed with how Jim has been able to kind of install a new system, um, you know, right off the jump with the new sporting director. And it doesn't really seem like they've had much of an issue kind of adapting to that. Um, in, in your experience, in your playing days, when you went from different coaches or different places or different formations, different positions, um, how, how difficult was that to go from one set of tactics to another or one philosophy to another or or two strikers to one striker or vice versa? I mean, it seems to me like they've really taken the changes in stride. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, I'll, I'll go back to the personnel. I think the personnel fits this formation well, um, and, they, and they do have flexibility with, in that sense. But at the same time, um, you know, it's extremely difficult as a player many times um, because, you know, you're, you're specialized. And for myself, I, I came out of college playing in a two-forward system, and, you know, where I was more of, say, an, under, an underneath striker or even a center forward. Um, and, and at the time when I came out of college, a lot of the pro teams were playing a 4-3-3, and I had to transition to an outside mid. Um, so, you know, that takes time, and that's the, you have to learn a whole different set of rules, basically, while you're out there. So, you know, it's, it's not easy, and that's where it takes a, a, a good coach and a, and a good technical director. Um, so, yeah, I think the union's getting it down. Specifically, Morgan, yeah, you, you played um, – when you played for Bill Betcher, what, um, what were you guys playing in Harrisburg? Were you playing two strikers or were you playing 4-2-3-1? Yeah, we, we were playing more of 4-2-3-1. Okay, so he had, were you playing left wing, right wing for Bill? Yeah, I was playing left and right wing for him. So I, I came out of playing center forward in college playing left and right wing, yep. So what was the biggest – yeah, I mean specifically, like what was the biggest change? Because I'm trying to think, you know, like Fafa Pico played as a winger last year. Now he's playing – as a forward, right? David Akam was in this in the same uh, kind of situation before they traded him. So, so what was the? I guess what was the hardest thing for you to make that adjustment going from going from playing sort of inside to outside there? Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing for me, and you know, I think for for many players who have that adjustment, is uh, you know the amount of ground you have to cover. Um, you know, you really have to cover a lot of ground from more defensively. Um, and then get back up there and still want to be able to attack at the same pace. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you're also going at the defender straight up. Well, a lot of times, you know, when you're when you're playing as a center forward or as a you know Fafa's playing now, you can play off the back shoulder of the defender a little bit more. You can take some more chances attacking wise, knowing that you're not going to have to necessarily get back into position immediately. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that was one of the biggest adjustments that I had uh, as a player, and, and you know, I think anybody would agree. So let's take it back to 2011 then. You were playing with Harrisburg City Islanders, and then you signed with the Union. Um, this was the second year that the Union were around. I want to say you were only like 21 years old. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I was 21. Yep. 
21 years old, playing for Peter Novak. I remember you came on and you made your one appearance uh, on your debut, I think it was. They didn't even have your name. I think you were so new to the team that they didn't even spell your name correctly on the back of the shirt. <laughs> I think it said I think it said Morgan Langley, exactly. Langley on there. Is that right, too? Oh, absolutely. I still have – they actually printed two of those jerseys, so I still have them here in my closet somewhere. <laughs> Classic, classic. That's a great story. That'll go in the book if I ever decide to write it. Um, what, what, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so what was your um, – that must have been just a whirlwind time for you because I, I remember you made that one appearance, um, and I think at the end of the season they decided that they weren't going to – was it an option? Maybe it was an option or something like that. But either way, you returned to Harrisburg after that. Um, so just take me through that one union year and what that experience was like and what it was like playing for Peter. Yeah, absolutely. Um so, you know, I came into the league, I came out of a D3 school, um, so I went and played it for, you know, the shorter season as it was in the USL for Harrisburg, was signed on to the, the union then right at the end of the season, um, and I'll tell you what, that was a big jump that, uh, you know, as, as a young young professional, I thought, I think I didn't handle it the best in terms of being a little bit, uh, not, lost a little bit of confidence when I came into that locker room. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I think that, that ended up kind of plaguing me as my time there. And I, you know, it was kind of the regret of the career is you wish you had had that back as you, after your more experiences as a pro. Um, you know, but playing for Peter, you know, I, to me, he was a, you know, he had his own style. He was a, he was a tough coach. Um, you know, he's someone who I've watched growing up. Um, but, but for me, you know, yeah, I, I don't, I always had a, had a, good relationship with him. Um, you know, I think potentially both of us could have communicated better with one another um, because, you know, I was I was a little bit fresh as a player coming coming in from a B3 school. I, you know, I was a raw, I was a raw talent, so to speak. Um, so, you know, that, that's my one regret in terms of our relationship as, as a coaching player relationship. But, um, you know, I think, I think it's well documented that it was, a, it was an interesting time for the union during that, that point. And, um, you know, I think I think at the end of the day, we made it to the playoffs and we had we had a winning atmosphere, so so it was not all bad. So Morgan, when you went back to Harrisburg, then what was kind of like the mindset? Were you like disappointed? Was it? Did you feel uh, motivated? Like, what's kind of going through your head there when you know you make it up to the quote unquote? I don't want to say first team because there was an affiliation, but it wasn't like Bethlehem Steel. You know what I mean? They would loan a couple of people to Harrisburg, but it wasn't like they were the the bona fide B team or whatever. But just for the the sake of the question, you know, you go to the A team and then you come back down to Harrisburg. What's going through your mind at that point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that's you know, it was the first time my my you know career pro or amateur where I had really felt a loss of confidence the way I had there. Um, so, you know, but I, but I think what always helped me as a player was I was always able to look at my negatives. I've always been my toughest critic. Um, so, so I really realized what I was missing as a player. Um, so, you know, I spent a lot of long, long days just training and getting my feet better. You know, I had the natural speed, but I needed to get better with my ball control um, and my touch in general. So, you know, it's funny because my, my uh, girlfriend at the time was currently my wife, um, was at Villanova, and so I spent a lot of time sneaking onto Shipley's field. Um, <laughs> <laughs> almost every day, I was whether whatever the weather was like, and I was uh, just training over and over and over again. You know, and I, that was my first real taste of, um, you know, that where you can't be complacent 
and I was really hoping I, I was going to have a chance to come into preseason and show my show my ability, and I, you know that just never never ended up happening. I think I got released the week before preseason, so you know it was disappointing. But I think anyone who, who knew me as a player and watched me as a player over the years realized how much I had improved when I came into Harrisburg that next year. For sure, um, you know we talked. I think actually that year because the union, um, you guys ran into the union in the Open Cup and. You have to remind me, Morgan, what happened in the game before that, because I seem to remember there was some like ridiculous comeback overtime, extra time win you guys had against New England. weren't you down like three three nothing or something like that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm glad you reminded me of that. That was insane. <laughs> yeah, we were down three nothing late. We we came three nothing. We were down to New England. Um, it wasn't like we were getting our you know our butts handed to us the whole game. Mm-hmm. They they suddenly put in three goals on us. Um, I remember I had buddies in the stands who left um, and went across the bridge. Harrisburg field was on an <laughs> island. They went across the bridge, and all of a sudden they could hear the noise because we just closed three back-to-back to uh, get back into the game. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and, and that was, a, I would say, you know, it was to show the perseverance of the Harrisburg squad. I mean, it was always a blue-collar team that worked hard, and we always kind of had this, belief in ourselves but at the same time you know i think there was some major tactical mistakes and complacency by new england yeah that led us back into the game and we uh you know i think it was in sports illustrated the soccer game of the year and i, I can't disagree with that <laughs> so i remember um yeah, we, we talked after that because you guys ran into the union. And um, I, I pulled up this quote because I, I just I remember it for some reason. And I wanted to like um, to read a little part of it. Um, and I asked you, like, oh. I, I asked you, no, it's, it's good. Listen, it's good. Honestly, um, I asked you if you were like looking forward to this and you said, quote, I'm not going to lie. I absolutely do have a chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, I believe I need time to develop and I'm happy where I am right now. I think I've developed a lot here. I'm ready to go out and show the fans that I've developed and I'll continue to do that over the next couple of years. I, I love that quote, man, honestly, because like, I, I, like that's what you want to hear athletes say. Yeah, you want to hear athletes say, like, yeah, this is where I was, and I want to get back to that point. Like, I, I don't know why you would expect anything else, you know? Yeah, actually, that's funny, because that ties into what I said earlier. You know, it, it that shows, I guess, real time what I was feeling. I, I knew where I where I could improve. I knew I had potential to be a, you know, quote-unquote big player. Um, and I, and I uh, you know, I believed in myself at that time. And, I, and you know, I still I still think I, 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 had a, I had a good career at the end of the day, and I... Um, you know, you know, I'm proud of that. Proud of that the hard work I put in during that time, for sure. All right, so let me ask you about Ireland. Um, 2015, I guess you went over there, uh, St. Patrick's. And um, number one, what what made you want to go over there? Um, and number two, uh, just what was the experience like in general? I, I I thought I remembered reading something where you described it as a, a challenge, if that's accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it was it was an absolutely a challenge, but it was one that made me you know better as a person and everything. Um, you know, going back to, so basically, go back to the 2014 season, um, you know, I was, I was getting a little, I wouldn't say jaded, but I guess jaded is the word, I was getting a little bit jaded with the USL grind, because it is quite a grind. Um, you're traveling on buses, far distances, um, you know, you're not always playing on the best field, things of that sort, um, at least, at least, well, in the former USL, more or less. Um, but we had a fantastic president in Tiago Lopes who came in. Actually, the union brought him into Harrisburg. Um, and I developed a very good relationship with Tiago as well as I always had a good relationship with Bill Thatcher. 
Um, but, you know, we came off of a really good season, and they said to me, Morgan, we really want you to move on to the next level. We think you have the ability to. Mm-hmm. And I believed it myself, and we came off of, you know, we went to the finals. We thought we were going to beat Sacramento in the finals, and we came up a bit short in the finals, but we're runners-up nonetheless. Um, and so Tiago said at the end of the season, Morgan, I really want to stand by my word. I really want you to, you know, move on. I think it's your, I think it's your time to, to, to take it up a notch. Um, and I said, Tiago, uh, knowing he's from Portugal, knowing that he had connections all over the world, I said, Tiago, you know, I would love nothing else but to go anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter. And he said, send me anywhere. Contact your people and send me wherever you can. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I know, I know once you have a chance in the MLS, sometimes it's hard to get back in there, particularly with the draft and all these different players coming in. Um, and so, you know, we were all, all off-season, we were negotiating with other teams and, you know, mostly, mostly American teams in the NASL and, uh, you know, maybe other teams with more money. But, but Harrisburg wanted a transfer fee for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know how that goes in the U.S. Those aren't, those, you, barely, you rarely see a transfer fee paid. Um, and at the end of the day, I just, you know, I was getting real close with one team and real close with the other team, and I'm just like, oh, this isn't happening. Um, and then next thing I know, uh, I get called into the office, and Giada goes, hey, there's a team in Ireland that wants you. It's called St. Patrick's Athletic. And I'm like, Oh, let's get this done. Let's sign this deal right now. <laughs> where do I sign? Uh, yeah, exactly. Where do I sign? Where are they? He's like Dublin. I'm like, oh, definitely. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, I was in Dublin last year. Um, I thought it was interesting because uh, I, I saw soccer on like one TV, but they have like all their other crazy sports in Ireland that are popular. <laughs> so, so where did where did where did you fit in? Where did where did our version of, of football fit in over there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so you know, you got first you've got Gaelic football, then you've got um, I'm forgetting the other one. But aren't they? Isn't a hurling? Aren't they in a hurling? Hurling, hurling, yeah. hurling. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Curling, hurling. Um, so those are the top two. You got some rugby mix in there, but but you have a really interesting soccer scene going on over there. So. Um, you know, it's a small country, but you have some very passionate supporters for each local local team. Um, so there's three main Dublin teams. You know, I probably get in trouble because there's really, really more than that. But there's three main teams, Bohemians, um, Shamrock Rovers, and St. Patrick's Athletics. So where St. Patrick's Athletic is, is located is actually near the Guinness factory. Yeah. <laughs> was the, the faint... <laughs> So how did you do on the field there? And and take me through that season. And, and what happened at the end and what made you want to uh, come back home and wrap it up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so on the field there, um, so I showed up. 
it's interesting because I, I showed up there and the, and the manager kept asking me if I was a number 10, um, which I thought was a little odd, but I, I feel like, yeah, yeah, I'm a number 10. I can play a number 10, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so I just figured it was, an, it was another, you know, position change in the career. Uh, so I said, sure, I can play number 10. Um, and then as we trained, he's like, are you number 10? Because um, I, I know someone was telling me you're, you're a winger too. And I was like, yeah, I'm a winger too, sure. <laughs> I can be um, whatever you want me to be, coach. Just put me on the field. Yeah, exactly. Like, put me a goalkeeper. I don't care. Yeah, I'm going to play. So, so I, um, you know, I, 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 did, I did think that was a little odd initially. But, I, I, again, like you're saying, I wanted to play. Um, and next thing, you know, I, I, he's telling me you're going to play. This is great. All this good stuff. And then um, first game about to go in. This is actually with the defending league champs and the team that actually won the league that year as well, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm warming up and I, I kind of pull a muscle. So just, just a small little tweak. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the, I don't go into that game. I'm, I'm on the, on the sidelines for about a week. And then, uh, you know, we actually, we're kind of a little bit short. Not, I mean, not short on personnel, but short on the, the players he wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm going into the next game. And I was like, you know, I might be able to play, although I haven't really trained this week. And he said, okay. Um, puts me in at halftime because another player got injured and I score on my debut. Crowd goes crazy, you know, <laughs> great stuff. I'm like, this is the start I want. You know, it, it felt like it was meant to be. Um, you know, and then and then I started getting a little bit of playing time here, a little bit of playing time there. Um, you know, he, he I'm clearly a right winger um, in his system, um, which is a with same same system I'm playing. In Harrisburg, on paper, but a very different tactical system. Yeah. Um, and and it's more of a natural winger type system, which is not a position I, I was ever used to playing, and not one that, quite frankly, I was good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they had a great natural winger. You know, as you as you as you know, natural wingers aren't really the way that teams play these days. Right. Right. Um, so I I found it old school, and you know, it was a it was a it was a system that they called you know a possession-based system and to me it was not um not from what i was used to i was used to smaller passes you know they, they were looking for lanes and very regimented i say i say looking for lanes of course you're always looking for lanes but it was very regimented you play through this lane here you play it back through this lane mm. um and i was i was used to playing a, a much more free-flowing type of possession and that not only from a passing standpoint, but also from a positional standpoint. Um, so I, I struggled to adjust in that sense um, from a tactical point of, point of view, um, you know, as the season went on. And, and then I also struggled with the physicality um, because, you know, I think what, I, what was my bread and butter is obviously my speed and dribbling ability. Um, and it's what I, what I made a living on in the U.S., so to speak, and, you know, in college and in the pros. Is I, I I would use my speed and my dribbling ability to beat players, and then I would slot a ball in after I drew in several defenders. I mean, I you know I always had as many assists as goals and all that good stuff. Um, but in Ireland, when you dribble and beat a player, they don't like that. They're going to kick you. <laughs> <laughs> so in practice and in games, and I just got beat up. I mean, just kicked. And it was twice in practice. I I just looked down thinking I broke my leg in half. Um, and that was just in training. There was, you know, almost once a game, I think that I was getting a red card challenge against me. Um, you know, so that it, it was, 
it was not a it was not a league for skilled players um, in that sense. Yeah. I say that skilled skilled um, technically skilled players in that sense um, for dribbling type skills um, because uh, I caveat that because you know some players with passing ability like James Chambers for Bethlehem Steel has the best passing ability I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was on my team, and he was on my team at St. Pat's. But for players that dribble and speedy players, um, you know, like myself, it was, it was the wrong the wrong career move in that sense. Um, and you know, but back to my exuberance to get me out of get me to anywhere in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Morgan, because like I and I wasn't going to ask about this, but you just made me think of it. Like I was reading Roy Keane's autobiography like a year ago or two years ago, and he and he complained in the book all the time about Ireland and the national team and how their tactics were uh, just very like direct, I guess, or maybe like, I don't, I don't know if primitive is the right word, but kind of old school. And they weren't really like up with the modern times or whatever. And, and of course this is like his playing career was many years ago. Um, but I don't know. It, it's weird. Is there a parallel there? Did you, did you feel like things were kind of a little old school in the way that they approached the um, game? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that was our team. Um, I, I, you know, I won't say that about the rest of the League of Ireland. I think Dundalk played a played a very, you know, modern and fast paced possession based okay. style. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Cork did as well um, while I was there. Cork City. So, you know, I think I think our style was definitely old school. It was, in my opinion, it was old school. You know, Premier League, nineteen seventies Premier League. Like, <laughs> or, excuse me, I guess it was the first division in England at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Um, and that was that was tough to adjust to. Yeah, I hear you, man, for sure. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you one more because I told you I wouldn't keep you that long. Um, <laughs> this is a question that I – this is my favorite question to ask any any former player or former coach or anybody involved in the game. And I, I ask everybody – everybody who comes on the podcast, I ask them this. Um, and the question is, for you as a player, uh, what is one thing, one topic, or one idea that, that we, the media – or fans that we don't pay enough attention to or that we don't spend enough time talking about? What is the one main thing that we overlook? I think in the United States, and I'm just going to speak for the United States, um, I think it's really, you know, who's the metronome on each team? Um, you know, that's that's my personal opinion. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of, say, Busquets, Sergio Busquets as a metronome. Mm-hmm. I think that, I think that, I don't see particularly fans focusing on, um, you know, who's driving the pace of the game. You know, who's 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 deciding when to slow it down, when to speed it up, um, when to play long, when to play shorter. Um, you know, I think I think that's that's something that that a lot of times is missed um, from from the average fan. Uh, not, not from necessarily an understanding, but I just don't think it's hit our culture yet. We, we're so go, 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 um, you know, in sports. I don't think we, we, we realize that sometimes you really slow it down. Um, you know, Harris does yeah. that well with uh, with the union. No, it's a good point, man, because it's not, you know, you always talk about the adjustments to higher levels of the game. People always talk about the speed of the game. But it's not it's not about a faster game. It's knowing when to play fast. It's knowing when to play slow. It's knowing when to hold the ball. It's knowing when to push, when to press. Um, yeah, that's sort of the next evolution of it. I don't think we really look at it that way. Yeah, and I've, I've learned that because because I didn't know it when I went to the pros. And I, <laughs> I kept trying to go, go, go and use only my speed. And it's yeah. not until I realized, you know, if I slow down and, and 
look to control the game and, and be a part of the team's control of the game, you know, was I going to be effective? Yeah, it's funny because I didn't. I think I learned that the hard way because I just got old. And you can't really run the way that you used to, you used to, <laughs> you used to run oh, anymore. Well. So, <laughs> so you try, but when you think about it, now. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You know, I like as a center back, I used to be like, well, I'll just put in a crunching tackle every five seconds, you know? And then I realized I'm not, I'm not going to like make it to age 29. If I do this, I'm going to be like, like dead all weekend. My wife's going to be bored. You know, I'm not going to be able to take the dog out for a walk. You know, like you got to like start thinking about these other things. But the irony of that is you talk about guys like Busquets and Javi and Pirlo, and even like Harris, yeah. Harris Madunian, and, and you look and they're playing well into their 30s. So it's just sort of a natural thing that happens, but you also have to mentally be there, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think, you know, I always like, oh, I'm, I'm fast, I'm going to be great. And then you look at a guy like Xavi Alonso who can barely, you know, get out of first gear <laughs> and he, how, long he, how long he played and, you know, what he's able to do with his mind. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's all about about when to go and when not to. Um, so, and like you're saying, I think as I got more out of shape as I've gotten older, I've actually become a little bit smarter. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, man. I'm, but now I think like what I do when I'm in my 30s now, and I hope this doesn't happen to you, but I just think of what my age is and I think of what other people did at that age. So like, for example, I'm 34 right now. And I think about like, well, LeBron's 34 and he's still playing. Or JJ Reddick's yeah, uh, JJ Reddick's thirty four and he's still knocking down three points. It makes me feel pretty bad, you know. Oh, don't get me going on that because I I, I decided to step away early. So sometimes I look and I go, <laughs> Oh man, I could have had six more years in me. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man, it's the beautiful game, and uh, I'm glad you got to um, got to experience a, a couple different teams and and two different countries and uh, and uh, you know do a lot of different things and play a lot of. Uh, different games and uh i hope it was uh enjoyable for you oh it was incredible you know i wouldn't trade any of the experiences for the world of course i wish i was still playing and making millions but you know that's you know i i, I can't trade any experience for the world it made me grow as a person and you know opened up my, my world to a bunch of people from all over the world itself but also you know to just incredible experiences Amen, brother. Well, listen, thanks for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it. Morgan Langley, everybody, former Harrisburg City Islander, Philadelphia Union player, St. Patrick's Athletic. Um, we'll keep in touch, man, and uh, co- come join us again on the podcast sometime, right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Anytime, brother. All right, it's time for your questions, your comments, and your concerns. But first, um, because a lot of the questions had to do with uh, Jamiro Montero and the loan uh, the loan being extended, that is. We, I wanted to go over the article that Nick Fishman did on Philly Soccer Page today and just uh, as, as a primer here to kind of set up uh, the other things that we're going to talk about as we get into the questions, all right? Um, Philadelphia Union won't have to worry about – I'm reading this verbatim, all right? I'm going to skip around a little bit. Philadelphia Union won't have to worry about the club losing midfielder Jamiro Montero in the midst of a potentially franchise best season. Quote from Ernst Tanner, it is not a big secret that we will extend his loan – until the end of the season for sure, and we now have the flexibility to do that. That's the good news. Uh, Montero was initially acquired in early March on a four-month loan from Mets, uh, who won France's second division this spring. Uh, the deal included both an option to extend the loan through the duration of the 2019 MLS season and an option to buy the player, uh, Tanner said. Uh, the decision to extend the loan is an easy one. Uh, Montero has been a revelation since joining the union, blah, blah, blah. He's great. He's an awesome player. Uh, issue one, transfer fee. 
Uh, Tanner confirmed that the cost was set, but declined to name the price. Uh, Montero's agent, Carlos Barros of Prestige, Prestige Sports, also declined to name the exact number, but told PSP it's more or less the figure that Mets paid for him. Uh, the fee was a little, that fee was a little under 3 million euros or about $3.36 million. Uh, transfer market lists the transfer fee uh, that Mets played to, uh, paid to um, his previous club. Of at 3.41 million, it's unlikely the union could acquire the player for anything less than that. Uh, it's a number that dwarfs the union's previous transfer fee record. It's more than double the 1.2 million that Philly sent to Chicago for David Akam. Uh, so on and so forth. Issue number two, salary. Salary is the second issue. Jamiro was on a very big wage in France, and he even accepted a much lower salary than he has to than he had to to be able to play in MLS, the agent said. In the end, we made the choice because the league would be very good for him and because of the eagerness that Philadelphia showed to have him. Um, that discount could be temporary. Montero, like all players, wants to earn what he's worth, and financials played a key role in delaying the midfielder's first appearance for Philadelphia. Uh, 25 days passed from when the union announced the acquisition on March 5th to the midfielder's debut on March 30th. While there were some visa issues, uh, wages owed uh, from Mets were the main reason. After the move uh, was official, the French club attempted to avoid paying bonuses owed to him. The sum was too much for the player to waive. Uh, that was an issue which needed to be solved between the player and the club, said Tanner. From our side, we did everything well. And we got told when we brought him over for the medical that everything was cleared. Obviously, it wasn't. Finally, we had to solve that situation with a little bit of pressure and a good agreement, which should be fine now. The union are paying Montero over MLS's 530000 maximum salary budget charge, but bought down the total using allocation money. It's possible that signing the player long-term would require allocating one of their three designated player spots to Montero. That's what we need to solve in addition to the transfer fee, admitted Tanner. It's a tricky thing in a way, but we will see. The most important thing is the player likes it here, and that is obviously the case. If all sides are finding a solution in the agreement later on, we will be happy. Um, issue number three, MLS. The final concern is the esteem in which he holds the league, Montero, that is. This should be corrected as the midfielder experiences the league's quality, but he could still see a return to Europe as the ultimate goal. Uh, despite MLS's shift in talent, many Europeans continue to question the league's growth, one factor being time zones. Most MLS games occur while most in Europe are asleep. A 7 p.m. game on the East Coast uh, East Coast time zone game airs at 1 a.m. in Europe. It takes a certain level of dedication to track, track MLS, which not many players can manage. I don't think there's much MLS on TV, Tanner said. The problem in my eyes is the progress. The progress it did in the last couple of years was not that well communicated in Europe. Most of the players don't necessarily associate good football with the United States, and that's something that needs to be corrected. Uh, Montero, like many overseas players, was initially reluctant to move to MLS, uh, his interest in the, the union's interest in the Dutchman actually predated Tanner. That credit goes to union's former sporting director, Ernie Stewart. Philadelphia had attempted to sign Montero before his move to Mets. Uh, he was at uh, Heracles, I guess is how you say it. The Dutch club is where he was before Mets. So I guess the big revelation is that Ernie tried to sign him earlier. So, um. Jamiro was already in the system because our scouting was formerly trying to get him, but obviously the player didn't want to come, Tanner said. Then he was transferred to France. We followed him as he didn't play, and there was another request from our side. It was quite a long process until we finally could do it, and the agent confirmed that account. Um, yeah, so a lot in there. Good stuff by Nick, um, who I tried to get on the podcast, but he wasn't able to do it, so I'll get him on some other time. 
But yeah, so that is very interesting. Uh, my suggestion to all involved parties, I would say to Jamiro, look, you got a good thing going here. You're playing really well. Um, you can make a name for yourself here. Come play in Philly. Why the hell not? <laughs> we'll take you. <laughs> You're a good player. We'll take you. Stay here. Please stay. Please stay with us. Um, so that being your primer, let's get in your questions. I'll try to answer all of them since I cut some people out last week. And as you well know, it's a podcast for the people. And we try to answer all the questions for you. All right. Um, Richard Saunders said, good, bad. Uh, the union to have, is it good or bad that the union have their players called up uh, case by case? Does it help McKenzie and Real? Uh, yeah, it does because they're not playing right now. Does it help Marco Fabian? Uh, not for the not really because he's not. How are you going to call up a guy who really has been like in and out of the lineup all year long? It doesn't help the Union or Mexico necessarily. It doesn't really help anybody. Uh, Craval, yeah, sure, because he's not a starter anymore. Uh, Blake and Burke, whatever. It's not a big deal. Uh, continental stuff. It's not a long trip to Jamaica. So, um, Richard also says. In what world does the national team take a shitty Michael Bradley as their veteran presence over a chippy, busier, aggressive, and charismatic Alejandro Bedoya? Why no call up? Um, I mean, I guess Ali's ship has sailed. You know, he was he was more he played more on the wing during his national team days. Uh, you know, Jurgen was using him as a winger, tried playing him as a six at one time. It didn't really work. Um, and you got Tyler Adams in there too, who if you if you're playing with like a true box to box, like an eight or something like that, you're gonna play with him over Ali Bedoya. You know, I I personally am in the camp of like move on from Michael Bradley and all of the other guys from that generation. Not not as like a anything against them, but just sort of as a blanket. Like, look, we're gonna try to get younger and bring up this next generation of guys, kind of thing. You know, and, and so Bedoya is on the wrong side of that, obviously, but. Um, uh, Richard tried to get like five of them in here. Would you take Fernando Aristegueta back now that he's dominating the Colombian League? I don't know, man. I always had a soft spot for Fernando. I don't know why. Um, I would like to see a full season from him if he was healthy. He's a little bit older now. I mean, the Union had him when he was 22. He didn't have a lot of experience, so it'd be interesting for sure. Um, Frankie says, why did the Jets let Mike McCagnin pick the head coach, use $125 million in cap space, and draft before they fired him. Why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, to tie it to soccer, I will say that the New York Jets are now what the Philadelphia Union used to be. Jeffrey Mitchell, the fa- at father of Ben, Philadelphia Union superfan, says, Have you seen my beef summer sausage? Yeah, this is in, in response to, uh, I was walking the dog this morning. I was walking Baxter, <clears throat> who I forgot to introduce. Sorry, because I have the door closed. Um... He's not, you know, the reason I haven't been mentioning Baxter a lot lately is because when I only have him in here when I have somebody else sitting here physically with me because it's whatever, right? I don't have, like, if if he needs to go outside or, like, he barks at something or whatever when I'm on the phone with somebody, like, whatever. So I have the door closed, right? But shout out Baxter. We'll get him to a live podcast when we do it. If we do the live podcast, I'll bring, I promise to you, I'll bring Baxter with me, all right? And you all get to meet him and say hello. Um... So I'm walking him this morning, and I, there's like a paper bag. You see all kinds of bullshit laying on the ground in Philadelphia because people just will not clean up their trash. They just dump stuff on the ground, throw cigarette butts on the ground, throw paper bags and trash bags there. It's disgusting. Clean up the city. Uh, and there's a bag, and there was two uh, like market pantry, market fresh, whatever that like basic line is that they sell at like the Target grocery store section. And there's two huge sausages just sitting on the ground. Just sitting on the in the on the sidewalk in Fishtown in the middle of the day, two beef summer sausages were just sitting there. So, I guess Jeff is saying that he left them there. So they might still be sitting there tomorrow. Uh, man on, 
says, with PSP's article about Jameer, what are the odds that he stays? Would you be content if keeping him was the union's big offseason signing this year? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would. Uh, 3.3 million for Jameer Montero? I'd do it. He's been great. He's been great since he's been here. I mean, he's really he's perfect for the system. He's got a hell of a work rate. He's just the perfect shuttler opposite uh, Ali Bedoya, and the work that both of those guys do really helps Harris Madunin and thrive. And I think we're finally seeing that now. We talked about that at the beginning of the year where it was like, well, if you have two industrious, uh, busy kind of guys on either side of Harris, you don't really have to worry about his defensive shortcomings as much. Um, I really like Jamira's game. Yeah, I mean, he's perfect. The team's in in first place, so what the what the fuck else more do you need to see? Show me the money, Jay Sugarman. Uh, Stan says, if someone guaranteed you a Union MLS Cup victory, but you had to listen to Imagine Dragons. <laughs> what the hell is this question? If, so, if somebody guaranteed you a Union MLS Cup victory, but you had to listen to Imagine Dragons exclusively for an entire calendar year after the final, do you make the sacrifice? Three songs minimum per day, no cheating by swearing off music. Wow, listen, uh, yes, yes, and yes. If the Union won MLS Cup victory, I would get an Imagine Dragons tattoo. Uh, I would do that, for real. Um, I would listen to Believer and uh, You're a Natural on repeat. Day in and day out, I would play it uh, so loud that everybody in Fishtown could hear it. No, seriously, Union MLS Cup victory, Jesus Christ, you know how far that would go? In this town, towards uh, getting people interested. I mean, even even today, Wednesday, the first day after the Sixers season wrapped up, Eagles aren't playing. Uh, CBS three and six ABC had trucks down at training. How about that shit? Is that not some shit? So it's a big deal, you know. I mean, what, what, think think about what them being in first place is right now, and how they're starting to pick up a little bit of steam. Uh, it's going to get warmer out. School's going to get out. Uh, the Sixers aren't playing anymore. Flyers aren't playing. Eagles aren't playing. Uh, this is a really good opportunity for the Union. It's a really good opportunity for them to um, to, to pull some people back in. Um, good question, Stan. I love Imagine Dragons. They're my favorite band. Adam says, how much does this year's attendance drop-off factor into ownership's reluctance to spend on a DP? Uh, what does it take to get fans into seats for a winning team, or is it too early to tell? Midweek attendance, always a challenge in Chester. Uh, but overall, the schedule has been decent. Uh, yeah, so a couple things there. Um, attendance, drop-off, into ownership's reluctance to spend. Yeah, sure, uh, obviously, of course. I mean, uh, but, you know, they sell some tickets when they bring a Marco Fabian, for sure. Um, you know, Mexican international star. Yeah, for sure. I think it's I think it's years of that. I think it's a, a cumulative kind of thing, for sure, uh, where I think people kind of got, you know, their interest was deba- debased. Uh, a little bit year after year after year until some of them stopped renewing their season, finally stopped renewing their season tickets or um, stopped coming down in general. Um, but I, I think, I really do think a lot of it is number one, it's still May. Um, things open up in the summer, you know, when kids get out of school, when people have a, uh, some weekends free. Um, after Memorial Day, it might change if they're still in first place. But but look, I mean, as as this team slowly lost fans, they're going to have to slowly build it back up. Because like I said, you know, there's some people who still don't believe in this team. All you got to do is look at the national perspective too. Um, the union are be like third and fourth and fifth in power rankings. You know, nobody out there is calling them. There's other people who are saying that D.C. is the best team in the East. Um, it doesn't feel like they're getting a ton of respect nationally. You know, we can do the, you know, 
nobody likes us, we don't care routine, uh, for sure. But I think the more pragmatic approach is to say, like, look, we, we've seen the movie before the Union were good last year. The Union were good last year. They won 15 games last year. And what happened? They also lost 14 games. Uh, they lost in the U.S. Open Cup final. And they bombed out in the last on the last game of the year and in the playoffs. So there's enough of that that's still, like, niggling at people that I think that's keeping them from jumping jumping back in with two feet. You know, they're kind of wading into the pool and testing the waters. They're not doing, a, like, a cannonball back into the Philadelphia Union swimming pool. You know what I mean? So I think that's, I think that's part of it, too. I think there's – whereas in most, like, established – in the established four for four sports, you know, people have been with these teams for so long. It's like if the, you know, Phillies go out and win a couple more games, everybody will be back on board. You know, it's sort of a knee jerk goes in both ways. You know, the Eagles lose two games. It's like fire Doug Peterson, right? The Eagles win one game. It's like, well, we're going to Super Bowl. So I don't, I don't sense that for the union because I think people are a little skeptical. Like they need to be coaxed into, into getting back on board. Um, Pennsylvania bias says, is it wishful thinking to hope that the union would draw crowds like 2010 and 2011 again, uh, or has that ship sailed? Um, it's, it's sailed in the idea of this is new and this is interesting. And this is like, we haven't had this before, you know, and that always, that always is going to wane. Like, of course it is. Um, so the newness you can never get back, but you can have a pretty damn good team, you know? And, uh, yeah, maybe the Phillies aren't as good as we thought they were going to be. They're a good team. They're not blowing the doors off of everybody like we thought might happen. So that, that opens up the door for the, for the union a little bit too, you know, uh, get your friends and bring them down to the stadium. You know, I might even get my ass down there again. Uh, big Mac says, I imagine that the Montero news is today's big topic. Yes, it is the big story on action news. Uh, EJ says, do you have any Bruce arena hot takes? No, I, uh, great hire. I mean, that franchise is shit. And uh, so give give Bruce all the control. Yeah, I mean, I would I would do that, you know, and get rid of all these these jabronis in the in the New England Revolution front office, like uh, you know, Brian Bellello or whatever his name is, the guy who like ratted on me. He's a stone cold loser. Um, Brains with a Z. Uh, says, could you ever see us splashing the estimated $3.3 million on Montero? What will it take for the, us, this ownership team to truly invest? Uh, you know, I was talking to union executives a couple years ago, and they said, Jay will spend money. You just have to really, really convince him. Um, does first place really, really convince you? Does Montero making team of the week? I think he made team of the week. Scoring a great counterattacking goal. Does that convince him? I mean, if that doesn't, then I don't know what does, you know? Here in first place, we can stay in first place by putting a little bit of an investment into keeping this guy here for longer. Um, you know, you got rid of David Akam to help facilitate that. You got rid of Derek Jones to help facilitate that. Um, so I, I, it's kind of like a watershed moment, isn't it? Like, I think this is like, are you for real and are you serious about this team kind of moment? You have a good team. Um, you have a good coach. You have a sporting director who knows what he's doing. Um you know, this is the ownership component of it. Are you going to spend the requisite cash to, to keep that thing going? You know, I hope they do. And uh, I think we're going to learn a lot about Jay Sugarman uh, coming up shortly. So, uh, Barcelona blew a three nothing lead. Uh, says, uh, is it actually possible for this squad, bench included, to sustain this run of form and finish first or second, especially if more injuries occur? 
Um, I mean, if they're playing the team game like they're currently playing, they look pretty good. I mean, they were okay in Toronto. I don't know. Toronto was probably – it wasn't the union's best performance, you know, but um, Kai Wagner, brilliant run. Brilliant run, yes. That's the overlapping or underlapping run that I've been waiting for from a union fullback. <laughs> I haven't seen anybody do that since, like, Fabinho was bombing forward a couple years ago. Like, that's what I've been dying to see Ray Gaddis do year after year after year, and he just, just does not do it. <clears throat> the ball that Wagner played in and Pico making the right run, and you know, that's what happens. That's how own goals happen when you put pressure on defenders, you know. Um <clears throat> I'm sorry, what was the question? Oh, is it possible to, for the squad to sustain this run of form? I mean, as long as they keep playing like a team and they keep uh, sharing the ball and, and, and sharing the load, you know, because they're not too reliant on one person. You know, I mean, they, they really aren't. They've showed that they have, they have great depth. It's not like when one guy goes out, it's like, what the hell now? You know, it's, it's not like when the union would, like, lose, like, one good player to injury and you're like, all right, we're fucked, you know, so... Um, that's a good thing. The depth is, you know, you can plug and play a bunch of dudes for sure. Um, I mean, Atlanta looks like they're kind of turning the corner here. The East has been really disappointing. Like, I just do not know what's happening here. Um, but to the union's credit, I mean, they're filling the void. So, um, Do you think Fabian will ever click with this squad, or is this basically a lost year for him? It's hard for me to say it's a lost year in May. Like, uh, we revisit that shortly. The Gold Cup, I, I think it would benefit him to not go to the Gold Cup. But... How am I going to tell somebody not to go play for their country, you know? Uh, Mac, JP referenced on the broadcast against New England that the union might be com- completing a club record signing in the upcoming window. Any ideas who? Um, would they be better off trying to buy Montero? Um, I think that is what it is. I think the club record signing would be Montero. So, and I, 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 you justify that, you know? Um Klein says, who do you think would be a good upgrade at right back that the union uh, um, could sign this summer, current MLS or or abroad? This is a good question that I actually researched beforehand. So actually I wrote some notes down on this one and I can't see them because it's too dark in here. So let me turn the light on. Hang on. All right, let me try this. Um, I looked at Salzburg. Actually, you know what? Uh, domestic guys, you could bring Shaq Moore home. 22 years old. He was playing for Levante in Spain, and now he's on loan to a second division team uh, in Spain. Right fullback, 22 years old. Um, wouldn't have to do the international slots thing with him. I looked at Red Bull Salzburg, where Ernst came from, to see if there are any, like, uh, any, anything that worked. Uh, that might be possible with them. Uh, they're the right back at Salzburg is uh, Stefan uh, Line Uh He's the um, Austria international right fullback. Uh, Twenty-seven years old. Uh, he was linked to Napoli recently. Uh, they listed his transfer value on transfer market as eleven million dollars. So that's out of the question, right? Um, ironically enough, uh, his backup. At Salzburg is a guy named Darko Todorovic, a 22-year-old Bosnia and Herzegovina international who made his uh, for who got his first national call-ups when he played with Harris Medunian last year in the United States. You remember those games where the um, where Harris was playing with like a really really young uh, Bosnian team? Uh, this guy Darko Todorovic. 
22-year-old right fullback, played with Harris on those Bosnia teams, and he plays for Salzburg. So that's interesting. There's a connection there. His transfer value is listed at about a million. Uh, there's a two guys behind him, or there's a guy behind him named Killian uh, Ludovig, 19-year-old who's on loan to, uh, I think it's Le- Liefering, or Liefering, is that how you say it? That's the like their feeder club. That's Salzburg's feeder club. And then there's a guy named Patrick Farkas, who's 26 years old, and uh, he plays left back and right back for them. I think in the, he was in their most recent, I think for the most recent Salzburg team, Liner played on the right and Farkas played on the left. Um, and they had a long time uh, right back who, who I think retired recently. His name was Christian Schwegler. Schweger. Christian Schwegler uh, was 34 years old, so you wouldn't go after him. Um, but there's a name for you. How about that? Darko Todorovic, 22-year-old Bosnian right back who played with Harris Madunian in last year. Um, Salzburg connection. How about that? You only get that on the Always Soccer in Philadelphia podcast, by the way. That kind of knowledge. Um, Mike says, if the union spend big on the summer, uh, what area would you like to see them address? Uh, right fullback. I mean, I wouldn't spend big on it, quote unquote, but that's I think that's where you would upgrade the roster. Um, and whoever it is they sign will be a young South American, a slightly washed up old Euro star, or a slightly younger European player, like a Dochkal or a Pozuelo type. Um, I mean, they like Shabilko. They like... Fafa Pico, they like Corey Burke. I mean, Sergio Santos, I, I, I would start Sergio Santos. And you paid this money for him, start him, play him. Let's see him. Uh, I don't know. You want to go DP striker? I I still think they would benefit from a deep, from a seven-figure striker, don't you? Like, you're not going to upgrade Fabian. You're going to give him a chance. You got Bedoya. You're going to pay for Montero. Medunian and you like. I mean, you get his backup of the future. You're not going to pay big for that. Wagner, you're committed to. Trusty, you're committed to. Elliot McKenzie, you like. I mean, it's it's right back or it's a, a superstar forward. I don't like. I don't. I don't really know. I don't really know where else you even go with that. You know. Um, ja, Jacopo, Jacobo. Sorry, man. I don't know how to say your name. J A C O B O. What do you think happens with Montero at the end of the season? I don't know. I think they. I think what will happen is they'll extend his loan. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the dude wants. I don't know if the dude wants to stay here. Like extend the loan and kick the can down the road and see what happens. You know, I think that's what you have to do. Um, and if it's a Dogecoin situation and he wants to go somewhere else, fine. But, I mean, you got a chance to win with him this year. Same as Dogecoin. Yeah, maybe that's what my gut tells me. Um, are we in the place where we grab a good player for a year and then we can't afford to keep them? Can we build a successful team with that process? Um, I mean, that happens to all teams. That happens to all teams. It's not just about price, too. I mean, like, you know, those guys were loans, you know, situations to get on the field and get out of what they were, where they're, what they were currently doing. And when you're opportunistic like that, when you play between the margins like that, where you look for value in the margins and you're playing money ball and you're trying to take advantage of situations, like that's the requisite bullshit that you have to deal with you know like you're offering these guys a lifeline a way out of china you know or a way onto the field and so you know that the caveat is maybe they don't want to be here necessarily they didn't choose to be here this wasn't like their ultimate destination but it was an outlet for them you know and you hope that you can convince them that hey you had a great year here you're a good fit for this team the fans love you you know chester is lovely this time of the year you know all those kinds of things they say this is this is a good situation for you so they have time with Montero to work on that, you know. 
Um, so if you're in the Sons of Ben, like, you know, go to his house, knock on his door, bake him like a cake or something. Tell him how much you care about him and that you want him to stay here and that you really value his contributions to the team. So let's give him a warm Philadelphia welcome and get him to stay here. Uh, Connor says the midweek presser from Jim had him talking about some of the money they've gotten from transfers and had the usual, of course, we're always looking for upgrades line. Uh, what is the number one signing they could make this summer if they even need one? Again, I say right back. I mean, you guys know how I feel about Ray Gaddis. I'm not anti-Ray, but if you're asking me where I think you upgrade on the on the field, I think it's right back. So, um, John Krasafi says, R.E. Derek Jones to a new environment. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. You know, I had this scoop and I didn't report it, and I should have. Now I know to trust that. Uh, they didn't say Nashville, but they said that Derek was on the trading block. And I was like, oh, I only have one source. I don't, I'm, like, I'm not going to report that, but now I know. Uh, Jones to a new environment. Uh, thoughts on the U doing good by their players, uh, post-Novak, of course. But he's thinking of Nogueira, Tranquillo, Dojkal, letting them go at the club's detriment, but building up a good rep for recruitment. Is that the anti-revs? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I don't really know what, what the other option is. Are you going to play hardball with these guys? Like, you're going to, like, say, no, you can't go? I, I don't I really know what the, what the other options were with those guys. I don't know how hard they tried. But uh, you know how it is. If you don't, don't want to do something or if, if some guy doesn't want to be somewhere, then uh, you can't blame him. You know what I mean? Like, nobody's – that's why we have, like, you know, that's why the transfer market, that's why – um, loans are the way they are. You know, it's why we have rights as workers in the United States where if I don't want to work 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. at Fox 5 in Atlanta anymore, I'm going to quit and find a new job, you know? So I just, it is what it is. And I think that's just the nature of the nature of the game, you know? Um, is Fabian, this is from Ian, is Fabian destined to fail? The original rumor was that he wasn't interested in MLS. And you have the red card and the bullshit suspension, the injury, now a potential call-up. It's hard to fit into a team with so many interruptions. It is, uh, but I'm I'm putting myself firmly on the side of you know what this guy's pedigree is, um, you know what he's done in the past. Like I'm committing to him, whatever it takes. Because uh, you know, I mean, the alternative is you got Brendan Aronson's going to be in your system for another couple of years at the very least. So if you have to fall back on him next year, fine. But I'm not giving up on Marco Fabian after like 12 games or whatever it's been. You know, um, Bro Rad says if you're only allowed to give praise to one. Curtin or Tanner, who do you pick? If you're only allowed to give praise to one. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question because they both deserve praise. Um, well, I'll say I'll say Jim for these reasons because he's 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 installed a, a system. He's teaching a system that is not his. And he's got his team in first place because of it. You know? Ernst is coming in with something that he's familiar with. This is my system. This is like I how, how I like to play. I need you to install it, you know. So there's familiarity for Ernst, but there wasn't for Jim, and Jim is thriving with a new system and a new role, um, or in, in having people with new roles. Um, whereas Tanner, you know, the stuff that he doesn't know, the things that are unfamiliar to him, he has Chris Albright to help him, help him along with Tam and Gam and all this other MLS bullshit, right? So... Um, I'll go Jim. I'll say Jim. Yeah. Uh, Joe says, is Kai Wagner already the club's best all-time all time best outside back? <laughs> uh, no, no, that would be Shane. And, I, 
Honestly, like, I know people are going to disagree with this, but I thought Shannon was really good for a couple years. Yeah, 2013, I thought he was really damn good. Uh, 2011, I thought he was pretty damn good. So, so sue me, you know. Um, Steve, the engineer, the engineer says, who looks more foolish now, fans who booed Curtin or people who told you your life will be over with a baby? And congrats on the little one. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I mean, we, we, I mean, we got to back it up. Like we, we all, um, I mean, not, not booed Curtin, but I think we all, you know, were skeptical of Jim at some point, weren't we? You know, we were sitting here thinking like, yes, we know he needs, you know, better players and they need to spend more money, but what, what is he doing what he needs to do to help himself? You know, is playing four two three one for you know game after game after game with CJ up top. Is that helping him? You know, is he playing favorites? Um, is he showing a lack of flexibility? Like those things have changed. It's a different system. He's teaching a new system. He's trusting different guys to go in there and play. You know, it's not just CJ up top. The same predictable subs off the bench. You know, it's different stuff. So, um. Yeah, your life will be over with the baby, blah, blah, blah. It was all bullshit, you know. A little more tired than I used to be, but I still feel like I can do all the stuff I was doing, you know. I've actually done more podcasts, doing one podcast a week. One always soccer podcast a week. I'm doing one crossing broadcast a week. I'd say my output has actually gone up since having the kid. So all y'all motherfuckers who said your life is going to be over with the baby, you got another thing coming. As Judas Priest once said. All right, um, let's get into an hour now, so let's wrap this up. Uh, Mitch says, a lot of people have complained about Tommy Smith as the color commentator. What makes a good good or bad color commentator, and who is the best and worst in union history? I mean, it just depends on what you're looking for out of that role. Like, I I personally want to hear the color commentator talk to me about tactics, about shape. Uh, What are you seeing on the field? Give me observations. Like, Like, elevate the game for me and tell me what I don't know. Like, I don't need Tommy to say, like, Oh, that's a yellow card challenge by that guy. Like, I get it, but tell me why. Tell me why. You know, like talk about you can't put hands to the face. This is that. Like, go into some depth. Show that you've you've done the requisite work. If I was a union's color commentator, I would be watching video every day. You know, and I'd take that job a lot seriously than I think other people have in the past. And I'd just say like, this is what this team is. This is what this player is. This is what he played. What position he played last week. This is what club he came from. Like, give me background. JP is supposed to call the game and tell you where the ball is and tell you what has been deflected. <laughs> you know, it's his favorite word, deflected. Uh, Tommy, to me, is just another guy who says what we can, what we can see with our own eyes. Like, tell me something I, I don't know. You know, so I think that's my problem with Tommy. I liked Yanish Mahalik when he did it. Because Yanish would talk about the strategy of the game. He played for the United States national team. Taylor Twelman, too, was like that. Um, Kyle Martino, even back in the day, I guess, right? So... I want my color commentator to give me color, to give me color. Tell me what I what I am not already seeing here. You know, give me something that I don't have. You know, elevate the game to a different level. I don't think the union have really had a lot of guys who have been good at that. So, um, Jared says Tanner is looking pretty good right now. What's his best move? What's been his most questionable? I'd go Montero is best, and I think Rosenberry could be starting in the system. So that's most questionable. Yeah, I think his best move was. Um, I think his best move was the combination Sapong and Akam and moving on from high-priced guys and saying we're going to trust the other people that we have here. I don't know how much that was predicated on needing that money 
that flex to sign Montero, but it also takes guts to say we're going to do this no matter what. I don't think that's something that Ernie would have done or that other people in the past would have done. But and the Rosenberry move, I don't know. I would I would have kept him. I think he would have worked in this system. Uh, Horsing around says who deserves more credit for the '19 season, Ernie Ernst or Equal? Well, now knowing what we know about Montero, I'd say it's got to be Equal. You know, if Ernie put the put the wheels in motion on the on the Montero thing, then he gets credit for it too. And likewise, Jim Curtin and uh, Chris Albright tried to sign Alejandro Bedoya before Ernie came in. So, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to pinpoint who gets all the credit for these kinds of things. Well, you always have to put an asterisk on that kind of stuff. Um, Rich Ransom says, uh, the moves the union been doing, uh, is the moves the union have been doing a win now or build for the future? Uh, it's both, really. I mean, they're winning now and they're kind of building for the future, aren't they? So... David Bennett says the 76ers lack of center depth showed in the playoffs and got them eliminated. And what do the union need to do in the upcoming window to avoid a similar fate? I don't know. Um, I, I, I still say right back. Uh, I'd be interested in like a, if they're not going to, if, if is Santos the guy or not, like, do you get a superstar striker? I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, I think Montero is, is priority number one. Yeah. Uh, Chap says if Fabian never really settles in and he performs well this if never performs well this year, do you think not picking up his option for next year and going forward with Aronson at the ten frees up enough money to keep Montero? Would they afford both? Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Fabian, Aronson, and no Montero, or would you rather have Aronson, Montero, and no Fabian? I mean, at this point, you'd have to say the latter, um, but we'll see what happens with Fabian. Mike says, since you spent a lot of time in Camden for the Sixers, have you had donkeys? Uh, yes, I have. Um, he says, do you think it actually qualifies as a cheesesteak? He says, in my opinion, it's a good sandwich, but it's not a cheesesteak. No, it's great. Donkeys is great. Um, if you can get over there, like I highly recommend it. They make their sandwiches. It's like a cheesesteak on a um, it's like a Kaiser roll. It's like a big Kaiser roll. Um, so you're like eating a cheesesteak, but you're not eating it like in a, out of a, like a hoagie roll. Um, I don't know. That's another like is a hot dog a sandwich kind of kind of questions, isn't it? It's it's a it's a really really good sandwich. I don't know if I'd call it a cheese steak, but I would rather like honestly I'd rather go to Donkeys than like Geno's or Pat's or Joe's in Fishtown or anything like that for sure. Um, the Sixers actually brought brought those in for the media at some point last year, believe it or not. Jared says, does Pozuelo see anything from the MLS Disciplinary Committee for the punch to trustee, or is he in the rarefied what-do-what-do-it-you'd-like what category? Currently seemingly occupied by Michael Bradley and Zlatan. I haven't seen an email yet. I don't know if the email came out, but, like, I doubt he would get anything, you know. If we're doing hands to the, if hands to the face is a red card, then it's a red card. Like, you know, you could say he was going for the ball. He was trying to reach for the ball. I don't, I don't really know. That whole thing was just stupid. There were some, like, corny moments at the end of that game. <laughs> I don't even really know what was going on there. Um, any scoop on Blake leaving practice early today? No, I don't. Sorry. I don't really have any scoops anymore because I'm not down there. Yeah. <clears throat> I got to be honest with you guys. I'm like fried after the Sixers season. It's just been a straight grind from <clears throat> the beginning of uh, the Eagles season in September through like two days ago when the Union lost to Toronto. So now this is like finally like the, the time of the year I finally get to chill out for a little bit. I've been working like six to eight weeks for something like like eight or nine months in a row. So um, woe is me. You know, it's a great job. I love it. I'm not complaining. Um, but it gets tiring. Uh, Sean says, Oh, Chris says, when are you coming to sit with us in, uh, the Keystone ultras in 140? Uh, I'll come, I'll do that at some point this summer. 
Sean says, have you lost your initial skepticism about Ernst Tanner being good enough? Um, yeah, what was my initial skepticism? What did I say? Did I say, like, well, he hasn't, like, done this job in a while? Like, because he hadn't been a technical director since, like, 2012, and he had been working with youth. Was that what I was skeptical about? Um, well, yeah, if I if I initially was skeptical, then, I, yes, I have lost my initial skepticism. Uh, Matty G, last one. Should the Open Cup remain a priority if the team is still in first place come August and September? Um, well, the Open Cup starts... Uh, well, yeah, I guess they'd be a couple rounds in. Uh, no, no, I would say it's not a priority. Give me a break from the Open Cup this year. If you're in playoff position, whatever the fuck with the Open Cup, I don't, I don't need to go through that whole song and dance and another Open Cup loss again. So, um, all right, that'll do it. Episode eighty, I think this was. Uh, thanks to Morgan Langley for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I love the stuff about Ireland. Um, really good stuff that I didn't know about that league and about his experiences over there. Philadelphia Union first place. Again, a live podcast. I'm going to try to get in touch with the Larimer dudes and see if we can hook this thing up. If you see him, tell him we want to do it. And uh, I'll bring Baxter down and you can take a picture with him. How about that?